Hello, this is Patrick, and it's time for Real Herbalism Radio. Real herbs, real life, real easy. Brought to you by thepracticalherbalist.com and sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, your source of high-quality organic bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. Visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. Show number six, Herbal Cordials. Fall is upon us. That means it's time to start those herbal holiday gifts. Herbal cordials and liqueurs are delight to receive and easy to make. Today we'll talk about how to make herbal cordials and liqueurs and the best herbs to use. Later in the news, we'll all discuss Seattle's fine for too much garbage. And in Herbalism 101, we discuss what is meant by the term bioremediation. Now, here are your hosts from thepracticalherbalist.com, Candace Hunter and Susie Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Today we're going to be talking about herbal cordials and liqueurs. Sue, you are our resident expert on these. <laughs> you want to tell us what you've got planned to brew up here or what you're already working on? Yeah, I already have one of the recipes on the website. And it's one of my absolute favorites. And that one is the spiced Asian pear brandy. And although it is labeled as a brandy, it is actually a liqueur, or it can be called a cordial because it has sugar in it. Uh, the definition of a cordial and or a liqueur, because those two terms can be used interchangeably, is something, uh, an alcoholic beverage that has over 2... 2.5%. 2.5%, so. <laughs> yeah, sugar. Yeah, it's a good thing you mentioned that to me just before we started recording. Yeah, no no <laughs> doubt. I, well, we're both looking at each other hesitantly. What was the number? It was more than one. Yep. So that one is one that I've been using for many years, and it's a, a good, reliable recipe, and everyone gets all excited because first they're expecting the Asian pear sweetness, and then they take a sip, and their mouth just gets that ginger taste to it, and it's mm-hmm. so warming and gentle, and it's such a nice pairing with the pear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, there are a number of other recipes that we're going to be putting on the website one of them has to do with elderberry and just there's so many different fruits of the season that lend perfectly to making cordials and liqueurs and because it's a good sweet sipping alcohol it's very popular for christmas or holiday presents or birthday presents there are people that have now requested from me mm-hmm. well this is the flavor that i want for my birthday present or my <laughs> whatever the, the christmas present and my daughter has come over and um, we have a, a cherry liqueur that i've made and i just collect all these recycled bottles of many different shapes and colors and give them a good sterile bath and some of them are funky you know they'll be round and they'll look like some of them look like hip flasks and but you can see through them because the colors of liqueurs are just beautiful yeah they do end up producing some really pretty hues yeah that cherry one we had a lot of fun with because we had a round bottle and it's sipping so you're giving someone fairly small amount right yeah it's like an ounce or so like a the amount that you would put in a shot glass, essentially. Yeah, for your for your dose of it, or if you're adding it to something um, like your coffee or something like that, or another cocktail, for example. Um, it's a good base for cocktails. 
the red one was in this round glass and then we put a ribbon around it and we put a sticker over it and put a little skull on it <laughs> on the sticker so it looked uh very uh victorian very mm -hmm. had a kind of a goth look nice. that was that was popular and then we put an old-fashioned cork at the top of it and put a little wax on it and it was fun had, like the steampunk christmas exactly <laughs> and she's in her mid-20s so that is yeah. it, that perfect yeah it was it was perfect for them and it was a it's a really inexpensive thing to make yeah. You know, the yeah. the part that I think was the biggest pain was taking the pits out of the cherries. Right. And some people, for their cordials, they don't take the pits out of the cherries, but I'm a little leery because cherry pits yeah. do have toxins in them. Right. And they can add a bitterness, like almond, they for example. They do add a surprising amount of bitterness. Yes. I've made meads with cherries, and the pitted, when you pit it, it the, there's less bitterness. It's mm -hmm. a better... It is a better product. Yeah. So when you're not fermenting, I mean, you're not fermenting them, but you're not letting them stand more than a couple of weeks though, right? Yeah. There's a couple different ways of making a cordial or a liqueur. And um, we talked about this a little before you and mm -hmm. I did, uh, but for those listening, they're, technically a cordial and a liqueur are the same thing, but the way that people use the words a, a cordial is the one that has more of a fruity, right? Fruity yeah. base. All cordials are liqueurs, but not all liqueurs are cordials. cordials yeah. Yes. But a, a, a an example would be like an almond liqueur or one of those milk-based or coffee-based like liqueurs. Irish cream would be a liqueur, but it's not a cordial. Right, or drambouille or, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, but a cordial is almost always something that's very fruity and based, like the like the Asian pear. Right. And you can use either a honey uh, as a, honey as a sweetener, or you can use just plain old fashioned sugar as a sweetener. The advantage of the honey is, of course, it blends really nicely because it's already a liquid. The, and it's a more of a natural if you if you have bees for example honey would be an obvious <laughs> obvious choice honey has an awful lot of healthful properties too like antibacterial properties and anti-inflammatory properties mm -hmm. and it's gently drying yes so especially if you're like our damp winters our respiratory systems can use a little bit of something that helps them dry a little so right I know that honey is excellent in black teas and other things like that. So, I mean, it's yeah. a natural for cordials, I would think. Yeah. Some people definitely prefer the flavor of a honey base. But, unfortunately, honey also leaves a cloudy texture sure. or uh, uh, visual visual in, right. in the yeah. cordial. And if you don't like that, then you just do one more extra racking afterwards. Take it out of the of the container and then strain it and then strain it again and you can get most of that cloudiness out and still oh, nice. enjoy using the honey but a sugar is just very simple and sugar is cheap and if you, you want it could you, you use the raw sugar that's unprocessed raw sugar rather mm -hmm. than the white sugar because the unprocessed right the unprocessed raw sugar still has a de decent number of the minerals that processed sugar strips out of your body yeah so, you could maybe help with some of the balancing that way. Most definitely, that's the sugar that we use in our household. It's just we just go to Costco and get the big, huge thing of the raw sugar and use that. And right. and I use that in canning and everything else. And it's, it's yeah, 
it's a little more expensive, but it's not that much more expensive. It isn't, truly. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we're not using huge amounts. We're in canning season. Oh my gosh, you go yeah. through lots and lots of sugar. Right. That's the big sugar time, but right. um, the rest of the year, it's it's just a product that kind of sits around and gets used a little bit here and there. So, can you pretty much use any fruit for cordials? How I mean, what are your what are your personal favorites besides the Asian pear and the you mentioned ginger. The berries. Yeah, the berries. The berries are really good. A blueberry cordial is really nice. And that, um, that one is, is great because it provide, it's very sweet, extremely yeah. sweet, but it blends nicely with a lot of other flavors. So it'll pick up the citrus. You can put in okay. some um, lemon or I've even had a cordial that had lime in it blueberry and lime and my goodness I'm, my brain is mm. not thinking of the other spice that it had in it but it was a, um, a oh pepper oddly oh, very nice. an interesting blend of stuff and the thing working with any peppers and this is something that I haven't seen in in the literature but I know from personal experiences pepper has to be strained out within a few days or it'll get bitter that makes sense yeah and it'll become overpoweringly hot uh, yeah pepper is pretty warming yeah even if you're just putting one pod in it it, it just opens up further and further the alcohol is a perfect place and the in the addition of the sugar for it to get all that capsicum in there and yeah. it will be extremely hot and very bitter and difficult even with the extra sugar so would you recommend like jalapeno or sereno does it matter which type of pepper you're using it, it really depends on how much you want to punish your guests i would think <laughs> <laughs> but the the key there is if you're putting the pepper into anything just a couple of days and then take it out right or it's that's all you're going to taste and the other flavors will be lost that makes sense. Yeah. And you can use peppercorns, too. That's kind of a fun little addition to add. But again, those, like the cayenne peppers, need to be taken out or they will get bitter. And I know they're not necessarily closely related, but they have a similar effect. Right. Well, spices in general, at least with mead making, you don't want them in very long. It's right. It's very short because they do, off, all of them offer an awful lot of bittering properties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the exception, I think... In my experience, it's ginger. Like, I can right. keep ginger well, in ginger there. Well, ginger isn't a whole... spice. It's a root. Oh, okay. You know, spices so... like cinnamon and cloves and cardamom and all the things that you go down to the spice aisle in your grocery store mm -hmm. and you find them there, those are all going to be... I would. I haven't tried dried ginger, but my bet is that dried ginger would be something you don't want in for a very long time either. Mm -hmm. It seems like all the stuff that we use as culinary spices that you would buy in the containers... All, almost all of them seem to offer an awful lot of bittering. Yeah. If you're, if you, there's a couple different ways of working with your cordials or liqueurs, and, and one is to start it on the stove, mm -hmm. and that one is a three week process, so that's like a kind of a cheater's way of doing it. <laughs> For those of us who forget until near Thanksgiving. Yeah, there's a the, lot of guilty parties in this room. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. You can start on your stove and you're basically making a simple syrup and you have a recipe on our site for the Turkish cardamom syrup so right. you could already have that one made and then turn that into a liqueur and, and then once it's cooled then you're adding your alcohol to it and, and letting it sit and really absorb the flavors before nice. racking it out. And then the old-fashioned way that I know about, and I don't know the 
the um, age of any of these recipes really, but this is just the one I know about is you're putting your fruit in with your spices and sugar and then putting it in a mason jar and then you add the alcohol and you just turn it every single day. Turn okay. it upside down. The next day you turn it right side up again every single day and that can last for three months or so. Sure, that's the method I think my Bopsha used to use when I was a little girl. I remember her having her jars of can't remember if she called them. I think she did call them cordials. But either way, they were sweet. They were fruity. They were alcoholic. They were delicious. Everybody in the family would drink plenty of them and claim that they didn't have much alcohol. But boy, by the end of uh, that night, you could tell that was a lot of alcohol. Oh, yeah. Everybody (laughs) loved everybody else. That's the, I know it as being a a French method of of doing the cordials. And, And we actually would have some of them sitting in, you know, the cooling spot it's a cold dark place so like a basement or mm-hmm. something if your house has a basement or the um a storm cellar or what have you the place where you go when hurricanes come through right and it lined the walls and <laughs> some of those have been there for a long time so you can imagine right. that particularly when you're leaving the skin on either it's an apple cordial or a pear cordial or something where the skin is there so they can add more fermentation to it and the alcohol level just goes up and you yeah. open up something that was made one this year as opposed to a couple of years back and you can taste the alcohol difference it's right. very and if there was ever a disaster and you had to go into that storm cellar you wouldn't care about what was happening up above <laughs> you you just you'd just pass your time drifting in and out of consciousness sampling different flavors yeah, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that's into the is, world. Yeah. Forget it. That is not the term we're using. No, it goes down easy, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah, and you do got to sip it because it's sweet. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are putting it on desserts. You know the yeah, yeah. We would we actually. I remember my mom bringing home some, and we would have them on the French vanilla ice cream. Just to, and as kids, we got hard doing any, but right. You know, we get just a little drizzle of it. And it was so good. Mm. That would be good. Putting it in your coffee, like I said, that was a, mm-hmm. that was one of the ways of making PTA meetings a lot easier for me when my kids were little. <laughs> I brought my coffee cup, and it had some special sweetener in there. Yep. And the other people's opinions were not as important to me. I mean, I just smiled right through them. And normally, I can get a little rattled, but that was... That's a good way to survive yeah, that. That was a good cup of peace and quiet for me, yeah. So if you were taking the Turkish cardamom syrup, for instance, yeah, and you finished off your syrup, so at the end of that recipe, you've strained out your extra cardamom pods and you have you know just your plain syrup, would that be the point at which you're going to add your alcohol? Yes, yeah. And let's say you have maybe a quarter cup or a cup, let's say you have a cup of syrup, mm-hmm. roughly how much alcohol, how much brandy? Let's or, start rum, with, or, or rum. Yeah. yeah, rum would probably be a really good one. Roughly. I mean, would that be like a... Uh, one of those one liter bottles, the giant jug style, or would it be more like the skinny bottle? Uh, well, if you're trying to you've get two point five percent quart container, um, couple of teaspoons of your flavoring, and then two cups of vodka, and that's what that looks like. Okay, so probably you're for the like if you had a cup of syrup or so, you're probably looking at the two cups, which is. 16 ounces, which is how close to the, I always forget the sizes of the alcohol bottles, but probably be the skinny bottle rather than the big jug. Yeah, and then the, you're, you're putting a, like a 
cup of sugar in there too so you still have a cup yeah. of headroom right it's two yeah. cups of alcohol i'm kind of working this in and then a cup of sugar and then you're and that's, yeah and that's a, a couple teaspoons of or a teaspoon of the spice because you don't want to overwhelm that and the sugar you if you're just using a heavy syrup like you're talking about right. that's what you would use if you're if you're doing a fruit one then it's yeah. not going to be an entire cup of sugar in a quart right it'll be half a cup and yeah. then half a cup at least right maybe a little bit more of your fruit if your fruit asian pear is really got oh a God. distinctive flavor to it and ridiculously sweet too. and the bitter apples have a, a very distinctive flavor to right. it but if you've got just a regular sweet apple, then you would want to add a little bit more apple to get a little more flavor in there. Otherwise, the other the other spices are just going to drown it all out in your final product. Right. That makes sense. So we were talking about some of your favorite ones, and we talked a lot about fruits. I know elderflower cordial is pretty much the same thing as a St. Germain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, are there other herbs and spices that one would use? To make good cordials? I mean... I have one that will be on the site that's called Sugar Plum Fairy, and Ooh. it's got those Italian plums. Oh, and I love those. And then the, I put a, a stick of, of uh, cinnamon in there. And, you know, a lot of the pumpkin pie spices. Oh, yeah. And instead of grating the nutmeg, then I chunk it. Okay. Just a couple small chunks of nutmeg, because that lets it permeate without just dissolving straining something with a, pro- a powder, mm. ugh, it's a pain in the neck. Yeah, that's And awful. it can really make it cloudy, and I had to learn that one the hard way. <laughs> I was too lazy to go to the store to get myself some cinnamon sticks. So oh. I just used powder, and oh. cheesecloth was not good enough. No. And I there, can imagine even a jelly bag wouldn't be yeah. fine enough for that. <laughs> There's a lot of things you can use for strainers. Cheesecloth is a thing that most people like to use, they're familiar with, but paper coffee filter if you mm-hmm. if you double them up because they can tear depending on the weight sure. of your fruit i used a paper coffee filter with a i think it was a oh my goodness it was a very small seed it might have been elderberry the elderberry okay. one but really it was very small it wasn't heavy i wouldn't have used it for the asian pear one because otherwise right. it would have torn right through but yeah it, it went through really nicely and um another Thing that we put through was just a plain ginger and we used we used less of the sugar and just put in crystallized ginger mm, and yeah. boy that had oh, that was strong. super warming yeah yeah, and, yeah very it, it was for the ginger ophiles i was gonna say that sounds almost medicinal <laughs> yes yeah yeah we needed some medicine after drinking that that was hardcore yeah. But it was yeah. really great to add to things. That was something that we stirred into lots of different stuff. Yeah, that sounds like that would be hardcore. Hardcore, hard yeah, hard exactly. Thank nice. you. That's exactly the word. <laughs> what yeah. is that? Yeah, <laughs> but just, I know of some people that yeah. have made herbal liqueurs where they're putting these incredible herbs like thyme and sage, mm-hmm. and it's a very warming. Yeah, a green-colored liqueur. Yeah, I was thinking about bay leaf. That sounds to me like it would oh. make a wonderful brandy liqueur. Yeah, bay leaf is one of my new favorites. I just yeah. ignored it a couple of years back. Uh, the American Herbalist Association made bay leaf their herb of the year. <laughs> Come on, oh, really? <laughs> All of the herbs in you're using bay leaf as the herb of the year. And then having done a little bit of work looking at it, I realized it's got a lot of good properties. It makes a great... 
foot bath. It didn't occur to you that there was a reason why I hound you for your bay trim prunings no, every year. No. I'm like, Sue, bring those over. I was just obedient. It's like whatever can of swan skin is gets as your bay leaf, crazy lady. That was it. Oh, I go through them every year. They're great. Yeah. I mean, I cook with them, sure, yeah. but I never really thought of it as herbal medicine until yeah. I started using it. And we yeah. put it in the foot baths at Occupy Medical. And it has a wonderful smell. It's calming. Mm-hmm. Now I, you know, I like I had mentioned to you before. I'm I'm putting it in my mop water, mm-hmm. and everything yeah. just smells wonderful. It and is. it really cuts the crud out because of its mm-hmm. antiseptic properties. I think that would but make that would make a great. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of things you could put mm-hmm. it because the nice thing about bay leaf also it blends with so many different flavors so well. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um. There was a book you had mentioned at one point that had information on herbal liqueurs. Drunken. The Drunken Botanist. Thank you. That's one of my new favorites. Don't ask me what the name of the author is. She's done a <laughs> few. We'll have that link on yeah, I'll make our sure page, that's on the, the Real Herbalism yeah. Radio page. And I would like to do a review of it because I went out and, and bought it. And it's one of those books that you read a, a couple of chapters and you it, it, it's based they the chapters are chunked into uh, subsections about the particular herbs themselves and some of their history. And I do have to say, some of the stories are not necessarily true. <laughs> some of the information is not necessarily accurate, but that doesn't that should not stop you from enjoying the stories themselves. Right. Yeah. So and and who else in of the of the readers would know except uber nerds like myself whether it's accurate or not. <laughs> so even if if someone like me can still enjoy it then you know yeah. it's, it's still a great thumbs up. I really really enjoyed reading it through and the great recipes and the history behind some of these alcohols and the pieces like she always has uh, bugs and booze sprinkled <laughs> throughout, you know, not just, you know, bees but uh, ants and fascinating little tidbits. She does a fabulous job of working. Yeah, it's her. one that I've been waiting to borrow that one from you as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah good luck. Get in line. That's a long line. I know. Line. I know. That's I was thinking, how line. am I going to pry that out of her fingers? Yeah. <laughs> but she wrote. Well, if we're going to do a review on the site, you know, I'll need to read that. Oh, well. see how you are. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but it's a it's a fabulous book. I recommend it. Any of her other books, I recommend too. The Wicked Weeds was the first one I read of hers. So I and I heartily recommend that one. Again, it's it's this ethnobotany of yeah. the history and the stories of these plants that we have grown up with and how they've shaped us as a society. Yeah, it's really really fabulous. So and it opened my eyes personally to some of the other plants out there that I had been neglecting. Mm-hmm. You know their flavors That's... and the savory pieces of them. So yeah. Alrighty. Well, I think that I think we're almost out of time here. So. I want to thank you for sharing your delightful set of recipes and information on cordials and liqueurs. Yeah, thank you, too. It's always, this is fun. I enjoy sharing this time with you. Yeah. Herbalism and homesteading news. The Seattle Times article, Seattle's okay is a dollar fine for adding too much food to garbage bins, was published on September 26, 2014. We discussed the consequences of Seattle's new law, as well as what it means in the greater context of our country's challenges in dealing with refuse. Today, Sue, Patrick has brought a new article to us about some composting laws in Seattle. Patrick, could you tell us about that? So I was uh, looking around uh, last week and I came across an article called um, 
Seattle okays a dollar fine for adding too much food to garage uh, to garbage bins. Meaning, in the Seattle Times. Basically, what they're going to do is, is if you don't compost, they're going to charge you a dollar per month. No, it didn't really say, but I think it's per incident, and they're going to they'll they'll warn you by sticking labels on your trash bins, basically stating that you have over fifty percent of food food waste in your in your garbage. So the, you and all your neighbors know that you got fined too. Uh, uh, yeah, apparently it's a mark. Like, like, <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> like scarlet, scarlet letter. letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> scarlet you compost. You yellow post. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what's interesting about it is that they have great goals of reaching 60% recycling uh, in all of their trash. Because mm-hmm. uh, as they said and a couple um, other uh, resources along with the Seattle Times was that they have been meaning to get to a 60% recycled rate in their trash, but they stalled out and they um, have met all of the requirements on the other parts. But the biggest waste product that we generate for trash or the Seattle residents, we'll just pick on them, uh, mm-hmm. generate is biodegradable food mass. Mm-hmm. That is the biggest waste. Some it's, of the easiest thing in the world to transform. You stick it in a hole in the ground and it's over. Well, exactly, and they also said that they still ship 300,000 tons of trash from Seattle to uh, a site in eastern Oregon. And that's pod- our state. Right, I know, right? So, so that's why we're at, at Realism Radio getting all pissy right here yeah. on, on the radio for the pleasure of y'all. So yeah. I think we were all saying that it's a good thing that Seattle is doing this. It'll lessen our, our load in eastern well, I Oregon. I think it's insane, the idea of being fined for putting – I mean – what if you don't have a compost bin or space to compost things? Well, what are you supposed to do then? What if you don't have garbage service? Actually, what they what they'll be doing well, is part of their recycling is that they're going to have um, specific containers for for this. So what will happen is that you won't compost. Well, you can compost at your home if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But as part of the collection, they're going to have a thing where you'll be able to put in all of your kitchen scraps and stuff like I hope you do. they seal then put those little filters on it to keep the stink down and the flies out because it's every week every week it's I every know. week though it doesn't smell Being that bad a poor composter i can tell you that it will start stinking pretty furiously within a week well we do we do <laughs> compost at my house and we have a compost bin yeah, and it's all poor composter you know, I put all kinds of crazy yeah, stuff in there. Yeah, but it actually composts and breaks down properly. I know, but all but they're like doing mine. is they're saying, <laughs> okay, it, every week you got to have your food stuff in there. Just put it in this little bin and, and cart it off. And if you don't have a garbage service, they're obviously not looking through your garbage to see if you did it or not. So people that don't have garbage service don't get the fines because that's it's, a crazy it's only... Law. It's a law only for if you have garbage service. I think we need to make a law here in Springfield just for you, Candace. Just to get just to get your goat, and it'll only oh, be for people that don't have garbage. No, I. But the <laughs> point is, is they're bringing their trash to us rather than taking care of it. And those Seattle people have got to clean up their stuff. They shouldn't be so lazy and just putting their their food waste in the garbage for us to take care of. Because they don't, they don't have a place for it. So they give it to us poor crackers out here in Oregon. <laughs> Ridiculous people. And we're Oregon. like, okay, I'll take your trash. That's great. But no, it's if and it says in this article down here, the city outlawed recyclable items from trash nine years ago, but the P the SPU has collected less than twenty thousand dollars in fines. So clearly Seattle is able to deal with those kind of regulations. Yeah, the nine years of two thousand dollars in that's all 2,000 fines that's all they've done in nine years 
people are clearly able to follow those kind of directions. Well, they aren't just enforcing them very well. The Either SPU, way. The SPU programs, information, Seattle Public Utilities Board. Yes. Well, <laughs> you would ask, Candace, how, how are they going to um, do this? And it's not a separate cart. It's going to be part of the yard waste. So all of your grass clippings, your leaves, your um, fruits and vegetables, breads, pastas, eggshells, etc. even your... Your paper towels, napkins, your paper plates, your your soiled newspapers, your greasy pizza boxes, your dead possums. All I mean, of I that like the can, idea of composting. All of that can be put into that yard waste container. Now, for people, you know, for where we live, you know, we have a yard waste container, and it is yard waste. We don't put in food scraps and right. other things in there. Mm-hmm. So, if they changed it here, that would be something that they, a lot of people could grab onto because right. you know it is a lot of waste. I mean, when we were composting. Even though we were unsuccessful, as poorly as, poorly as we, we could composted. never seem to get compost to work here, um, our waste mounts went way down. And the trips that we were going, because yes. we we go directly to the collection, we don't have a, right. a weekly. We pull. don't pay for the service, right? Yeah. So we so because we can recycle more that way, actually. Right. And um, yeah, we, you can recycle a lot more when you don't at do the, the service at the place. So anyway, yeah. that's what we've chosen to do. But we also noticed that we were having to go to that co- to the collection place uh, more frequently now that we're not composting. Yeah. So well, we used, we didn't compost before because we didn't have a bin set up for it until someone gave us the Elvis Presley red worms for an Elvis Presley party, and then all of a sudden right. we start because obviously you know when the king summons you to compost, you got to do that. But they uh, before then this, this is real that was that was real. So before then, we were just throwing everything into the garbage, and we were at weekly collection. And then right. after the king shared his red wiggly worms with us, then it was every other week. So we were able to cut our garbage in half. Right. I'm not anti-composting. I've just been very, very unsuccessful with it. Yeah. No, and, I'm not. I'm not saying know, for this. And I find that you know, since I don't have garbage collection, I'm like, well. You know, then it wouldn't influence you at all. If you lived right. in Seattle, it wouldn't influence you at all if you're still, you know, bringing stuff to the... the, the Going down to the dump myself. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But for people that do, and I'm particularly, you know, kind of doing the stereotyping about Seattle culture of this kind of upper crust, lots of money. Mm-hmm. They just throw things wherever, and they, you know, because they're wealthy, <laughs> they don't have to think about consequences. I know that's a stereotype, but yeah. I kind of... Thing like, oh, now you guys have to work a little harder. You know, you have to think about consequences. And, and that's not fair. That's no. not fair for me to think of. But it does kind of give me a little sly smile. <laughs> Especially knowing how much stuff they're sending to us. Right. I so mean, bad. that's, sure. But I will say that the thing that makes it very doable is that SPU is not asking for another container to be in your garage. It's not asking for you to change anything that you do normally, except when you're done with dinner, instead of everything going into the trash heap, Mm-hmm. You can actually just put that into your yard waste container, which you already have. Right. Yeah. You know, they're not asking for any more implementation of anything else. You already have the equipment that they want right. you to have. So it's even easier. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. that was one of those culture shocks when we moved out west because out here, restaurants in the Eugene Springfield area, many restaurants already have you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, you separate. So, you separate. When so you you're bust separating your table. it when you bust your table at, at regular restaurants anyway. Right. So and there's some yeah, places like the pig farmers that buy restaurant or they get donated restaurant or grocery store food waste right. and give it to their pigs yeah. and that's you know now we're talking practical herbalist style yeah. stuff yeah yeah that's pretty awesome i like that so i think the, the real big issue is that it's 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 a municipality it's a government that wants to do it and find you for it but it really hasn't changed much from what they've done in the past to increase 
Seattle's ability to recycle. They're just making one more leap to it to get to their goal of 60%, which is by 2015. So yeah. as much as I can see where some people would say, oh, that's you know, Big Brother and it's the government and it's forcing it. On the same mm -hmm. token, is the only way that we get active change is by our elected government to do things that we in our best interest. Yep. And, you know, like you said, Sue, if you look at how many fines were done by the last time that they had done this... Um, nine years ago. Nine years ago, yeah. it was only $20,000 for a right. city the size of Seattle. Right. Yeah, and they're, they're projecting that they may see $2,000 in fines next year if that's it for this, yeah. this yard waste. And thing. they get warnings, too. They get educational yeah. warnings. Right. And that was the other part I liked about it is they, were, they budgeted out a certain amount for education, which no matter what their fine structure is, clearly if they're dumping that much trash, Seattle needs that education. They need to start thinking about what happens when things leave their hands. Toddler thought pattern, it's over for them. We don't live in a society that will allow that anymore. Well, well they are the second state in our, or the second city in our union to adopt this kind of law. San Francisco has also done it. Mm. And them doing it, has they've caught world attention. I mean, there's news articles on CNN's website, Capitol Hill article, BBC has published one, Reuters picked it up. Both here and in you and in Europe. I mean, uh -huh. it's not. It sounds like it's just a little thing, but it's actually wave of the future. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. Well, if you look at one of the biggest problems that most large cities have, is waste. Mm -hmm. Where do they put it? And they generate so much of it. I mean, New York has a whole island made of trash. Right. You know, and every day it gets bigger. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. that's the one of the biggest issues. So how do you curtail it? Well, you incentivize it by saying, well, it's going to cost you out of your pocketbook if you don't. Mm -hmm. And that's when suddenly people will start to do things that are going to cost some money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Patrick. That was a very interesting article. Thanks. Thank you. Now it's time for Herbalism 101. Sue and Candace helped to define the term bioremediation. Sue, there's a new term, or well, it's probably not new, a term that I've been just learning, new to me, called bioremediation floating around out there. You want to tell me a little bit about that? Yes, I am a big fan of bioremediation. It's, it has been going on for quite some time. The definition of bioremediation is uh, removing or transforming toxins by using a biological agent, bacteria, plant, or mushroom. Plants are a really simple way for places like Superfund sites to clean up the toxins in the area, for instance, after a mining or a radiation spill or arsenic poisoning, they use cattails to clean the arsenic out of water, and that's just something that it, it absorbs from water naturally. It uses as a, as a food. The cattails are, there was a big project many years ago, and I had, we had this mentioned on our Practical Herbalist webpage under the cattail heading that a scientist did a bunch of, of studies using little kiddie pools full of <laughs> uh, cattails, which would be adorable. That would be like the ultimate <laughs> background <laughs> playground. But the water was full of, of arsenic, and then he tested the water after a couple of weeks and found a marketable lack of arsenic in the water that had cattails in it. And cattails are indigenous to so many different parts of the world. So it's not like you're introducing invasive plants. You're just asking people to plant and encourage more cattails in their already riparian areas that have been damaged by mining or agricultural uh, spills. Or, you know, down in Cresswell, we're, in the, in the, we're recording from the Willamette Valley and just down from us a little bit, Cresswell has arsenic in the water and they're always having to put out reports on it and cattails grow in that area. Mm -hmm. 
So the cattails are hopefully trying to do the job. Yeah, yeah, you put it in there and they work really fast, really quickly, nice. and they're pulling it out and using it as a food. Another one is in both Chernobyl and in Fukushima, the radiation people in Chernobyl, they built these huge rafts and they planted sunflowers on the rafts in the ponds near Chernobyl to pull the radiation out of the water. And they, those sunflowers, that's just one of the wonderful things they do. I mean, plants, they have been around and they have changed our environment already. That's one of the things that leads to evolution is how we've changed a fairly toxic environment to the environment that we're living in now because we all interact as different species and different families. And it's, it's so interesting to see what the government has done to acknowledge this process. And it's a cheaper way of changing and uh, cleaning up that area. Well, it makes sense to use the tools Mother Earth gave us. Exactly, because they don't really take that much monitoring. Right. They just do it on their <laughs> own. Bacteria, when they do bacteria to pull um, and transform some areas, they will have to inject um, things like vegetable oil into the soil mm -hmm. in order to provide air pockets for the bacteria so it doesn't go anaerobic, although there are some anaerobic bacteria that also is used in Superfund sites to change things. But... There's so many different plants, reeds and alders, and a lot of different um, plant or mushrooms ever since yeah, there were heard mushrooms. Yeah, the mushroom. There was an oyster mushrooms, I think it was, that they did a huge study on. And yeah, breaking down petroleum products. Right. That's one of the heavier toxins, and they just take these clumps of, of uh, petroleum-laden uh, plant matter and just break it down, and it would, it would would it was really fast and easy, and the I understand that the oyster mushrooms were themselves still edible. Nice. It nice. just transformed it. It's, it's it. wonderful to have that resource, and I love that the government is acknowledging that that's the best way of handling those things, and they participate in that. I think we all win. Nice. Well, thank you. Bioremediation. If you want the dirt on herbs, herbalism, or anything else related, you can send your question using our simple contact form at realherbalismradio.com slash herbalism101. We will do our best to answer your question on a future episode of Real Herbalism Radio. Thank you for listening to show number six of Real Herbalism Radio. Your hosts have been Candace Hunter and Sucier Lupe. To find more information and recipes from today's show or to leave a comment or suggestion, Visit us online at realherbalismradio.com. Feeling social? You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thepracticalherbalist. Don't forget to look up our ebooks and herbal folios at amazon.com. Use the search terms practical herbalist. This show is sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of high-quality organic bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. You can visit them at www.mountainroseherbs.com. If you'd like to be a sponsor of Real Herbalism Radio, just contact us through our website at realherbalismradio.com slash contact. Till next time, this is Patrick with Real Herbalism Radio and thepracticalherbalist.com.